0: Shop Talk is back. With the support of LSETF, we're sat down with some young, brilliant entrepreneurs to learn the secret behind their success so that just maybe we can do the same thing.
1: Tola, Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm okay. I'm as okay as Nigeria permits. <laughs> um,
0: I love... I, you know what I, I really love about this is... How free people feel to speak, <laughs> <laughs> <I ain't... laughs> just because like like we we almost don't waste a minute, I, and I say this because you know different conversations and it's kind of just consistent yeah. um, the circumstances of Nigeria and how much it affects yeah well being yeah sorry please
1: yes I mean I'm, I'm as okay as Nigeria permits I feel like just you know um drawing from what you're saying i feel like a lot of people in our generation are trying very hard to not be politically correct right which is why you're probably getting a lot yeah. of free you know yeah. freedom in their speech and people are saying how they really feel um recently i've i've been taught to sort of try to tap into my into into how I'm really feeling. You know, how you know in Nigeria if whether you're okay or not, how are you, I'm fine. Yeah. You're not fine, bro. you're, you're not and fine. It, it, I think I think we 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 struggle with that with
0: the with whether that question is ever genuine. It, it's sometimes it feels impulsive. So the question is is the person really asking how I am? Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, but I know. think it's also
1: Growing up in this kind of environment where, even if you said you weren't okay, nobody was going to do anything about it, right? Yeah. So you, you, we, we sort of learned that I'm okay was the answer to that question, yeah. and you didn't need to think it through, yeah. right? Um, but recently, like I've been trying to think it through. Like, I, am I okay? No, I'm not. What's going on? You know, trying to. I mean, very. it's very difficult for me to process my thoughts. Yeah. Um, especially when it's personal. Like, if it's other things, I will process properly. But if, when it's personal, yeah. um, it's difficult. Like, Because I always feel like there's so much to do. Like, I can't be thinking of myself. But... So,
0: like, bouncing off of that, right? How important is that balance? Though? Right? Because, yes, there's so much to do and there's work to be done. And I think that we're all kind of keen to it. It's probably especially right now, mm. you know, the way the state of the economy and everything is, there beco- they consistently becomes more to do because unless you do more, you don't get enough to even have what you had before, yeah. right? But then how important is that balance of being mentally and personally okay in order to do what you've got to do?
1: Um, I th- Personally, I think it's very important. I won't say I've done a good job at creating that balance, right? Um, there are lots of things that we shy away from, and that are demonized. Um, like, I went to therapy in 2019, right? Mm. Um, for several reasons. And it was good. Mm. Like, it was good.
0: I I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I haven't. I advocate for it because I think that it's important that we realize that it's important to have these kind of conversations that we've struggled to have culturally for a long time. Mm. Um, especially men, mm. right? Because the 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 whole bravado and the mm-hmm. whole idea of toxic masculinity <laughs> right but what is it like therapy I just yeah just being in that chair with someone you don't know I mean I
1: just So I went once a week again because of time uh, but it was it was and it was therapy that was also aided with medication. I didn't like the medication bit of it. Yeah. Because it just that messed me up. I actually forced myself to stop taking that yeah. um, and wean myself off it. But the talking to someone thing was good, right? Because it's like gambling. So let me explain something about gambling, right?
0: <laughs> what a process how that ends up being good. Yeah, right? no, Explaining I'm, I'm good. Positive I, side yeah. of
1: gambling. I'll <laughs> come back to it. Nobody ever wins. The house always wins. Yeah. in gambling. Everybody knows the house always wins. But everybody still goes to win something. Like, do you see how silly that notion is? Mm. Because what that says to me is it's not really about winning. It's about the feeling of wanting to win, right? Or wanting to even play. The same thing as therapy. You're not sure if this person is keeping your information to themselves. You're not, but that feeling of wanting to just let go as you wouldn't be able to let go with people that you are sure would judge you or would, you know, might take what you're saying out of context and stuff like that. People that will take your, you know, conversations out of context and that might bring it up in, this is somebody you're never going to see again, right? Or unless you put them on a retainer. So that feeling, you know, it's not necessarily about the end because he's not going to provide a solution. The solution is you talking and letting go, right? Um, And pouring out to somebody what you've kept to yourself and even things that you don't know you've kept and things that you don't know you are dealing with. Because I went to therapy and I was like, yeah, I'm paying for a friend. Literally, <laughs> like this is what a friend should be. Yeah, but I, I'm literally paying for a friend. I can choose to never see again, and who might forget this conversation once we're done with the session. Mm. You know, um, or just keep it so that he can reference it for someone else to help someone else. Yeah, there's nothing personal for him, and there's nothing personal for me. It's personal because I'm letting go, and I feel like I had this friend that has no choice than to listen to me, right? Mm. But would also tell me the truth. Because everything I would say, he would repeat it back to me. I'd say, do you, but do you know this is what you're saying? And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm hurting myself. I think, I think it's
0: interesting, the idea of um, of getting to actually really hear yourself. Mm. I, th- I think, at least from my understanding, right, and even when I have conversations, like even, you know, sitting down like this, it will surprise you the things that you say and the things that you think and the things that you, um, you know, that are hiding in your, you know, in your thought processes or whatever it is. How much deeper, I guess, as human beings that we think ourselves and how much more we analyze or weigh circumstances and all that kind of stuff.
1: I think for business, which is sort of like where I am, I think you probably even need like two different types of ter- therapists. <laughs> <laughs> um, one that will help you with work and that. And then one that will help you with like your personal life, or emotional and stuff. Because building a business in Nigeria is hard. Right? right. And which makes building a startup harder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, people always use the word startup loosely. Startups and SMEs are two different. Startups are magical too. Um, so think Google, Facebook, um, Microsoft, Amazon. Um, what you're able to do with a startup is achieve the kind of growth um, in less time than a traditional business will. So an SME, or you know, um, and which is why it is funded by a different asset class, right? It's not private equity funded unless it, it's at the later stage. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not necessarily at the early stage debt funded. Um, it's usually private equity. I mean, v- venture capital funded. Um, the venture capital asset class was created for startups, right? Or thrives mostly in startups because if you meet your traditional, um, investment banker, they, they usually hate that asset class mm. because that asset class is really betting. What you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to achieve with that asset class is returns, high risk, high returns, right? Whereas some of these businesses or startups don't have fundamentals either market-wise or even globally.
0: Mm-hmm. So, they don't
1: have pictures that you can or fundamentals that you can compare them against, so in this market, except for other startups that compete with us, you would not find it will be very absurd the idea that split you know is was born out of is mm-hmm. actually absurd in the West African market, yeah right um and when you're doing comparables you're even doing comparable globally, you're doing comparables to two companies at once. So we're taking half of what, the, I mean, part of what this company does and part of what this company does yeah. and try to fit this into the West African market. So that's what a startup is. And you know, for, for traditional companies, if you had a 70% year on year growth, revenue growth, that would be awesome, right? And you had yeah. some profits, that would be awesome. Um, for a startup in the beginning, what you want to have is maybe minimum three to five times, or even sometimes ten to twenty times, year-on-year growth, yeah. with losses. Because what you're leveraging and what you're trying to do is prove a point first, right? Um, what that point that point you're trying to prove does for you is take market share, um, social reengineering which is something we know we do with like landlords and homeowners um, and just sort of create brand equity, right? So venture capital comes in for you to be able to shore up those losses, right? So you can pay salaries from the venture capital when you raise money. Um, I mean, there's the also other asset class, which is like angel investors who sort of come yeah. in before the VC, the early stage VC. Um, but yeah that's that's what a startup is it's two different things yeah um people tr- people will call their sme a startup it's not it's, it, the word startup is not literally it's not literal yeah. right like it's not it, it starts up, right yeah. it's it's w- that so yeah. it's two different things um it's the kind of things we see at tesla you know um so yeah I- in terms of building a startup is doubly hectic, right? And returning those kind of metrics five times, three times, year on year. So if I did 100K in revenues this year, I have to do 300 to 500K next year. And then I do five times and five times and five times, you know, until I can exit or IPO, any of those things, Um, or until we're profitable, right? Um, It's difficult because you have the pressure of having shareholders. They might be kind people or nice people. <laughs> but, yeah, hurt. but, yeah, <laughs> but um, nobody gives you money for free. Yeah, right. They also understand the risk because it can die today, right? You know, you might hit more losses than you need to meet. Different things happen, product market fit, might be out of place. Um, certain things can happen. Um, founders might give up, uh, which is not their fault. Yeah. Um, so many things can happen. But, beca- but because we're not a, an environment that celebrates failure, right?
0: And when you say that, you're talking globally, you're talking specifically to Nigeria. I'm
1: talking about w- the West African market. When we don't celebrate failure, I'll give you an example. In In the U.S., VCs would fund a second-time founder very fast. Faster than anything. Faster than a greater idea. Because if he's failed, he knows how to win. Does that make any mm-hmm. sense? So like he knows he, how to
0: not fail, at least he a he new know, area to he, not fail.
1: Exactly. It. He yeah. knows... Because building a startup today, like this is my... This will be my second startup, but this will really be my first VC-backed startup, right? And there's so many things I've learned today in the the span of three and a half years that if I started something else, right, because I've learned those things, I would hit certain numbers and certain metrics in three months that I've hit in three and a half years just because I know those things, right? They're just certain things that a new founder will not know that I know, right? That will give me an edge over him. But because here we we don't celebrate failure, right? Yeah. We we we, demonize. we just think
0: that that means you can't do we it. You can't
1: do stuff. Yeah. Um, we don't fund learning. We don't fund education. Because, it's very
0: hard to fund learning when the money is very little.
1: <laughs> which is fair. Yeah. <laughs> which is fair. But we fund a lot of other frivolous things. Yeah. If if we if we're saying that right, why not fund things that might bring returns? Yeah. You know, because when you fund a first-time founder, you're funding his education. If he hits it and gets it right, all well and good. But if he doesn't, it might mean that he's going to build something else that he might get right, yeah. right? Um, so because of that, therapy. Th- you need therapy I feel like I, I advocate for it I tell people man if you can talk to somebody about your journey because your wife will not understand as a startup founder um your friends will not understand if they're not startup founders yeah. the only time you will feel like you're being heard is around other startup founders like you are speaking the same language yeah. you know and so you need that friend that, you know, you pay to listen to you. <laughs> that friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that can be logical with you um, to take, to follow you through that. Okay. Goal. So
0: let's talk a little bit about split. Yeah. Okay. So I am pretty much a novice. In fact, yes, I'm a novice. Let's not even say pretty much, okay. right? So when I hear split, my immediate... Um, comparison, obviously, is probably, I'm sure you've heard it before, is Airbnb. But mm. slightly a different space, right? Because you're mm-hmm. not looking simply at um, um, vacations, but you're looking at short stays to um, Longer long-term stays. Term rentals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How did this come about? What things you need to put in space? Uh, what things you need to put in place to
1: achieve? To, um, where does tech come in as well? Uh, split started in 2017 um my co-founder dollar takes the credit for that he actually had the idea um he had moved back from the uk and i think for him it was just absurd to pay one year's rent it makes no sense if you think about it um and i think that just says how bad the economy is because what it said to him was that there was low trust right which is is really why it yeah. started, we, you know, the Nigerian economy sort of switched to yearly rents in, in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, so he was couch surfing because, he, you know, he was a, one of our friends. And, you know, he just sort of had this idea. So he was in real estate at the time. Uh, but what he was doing was building, right, and, you know, acquisition and just a few out here and there. So he would acquire property on behalf of his customers and then just help them you know, monetize those assets. Traditionally, right? So one year, two years rents, just help yeah. them with all. And because he's a lawyer, he already understands all the transa- how those transactions work. Um, and I was somewhere else building with my friends. We we're building something else. We were actually building um, an AI bot for financial transactions. It's funny I say that because today they are popular. At the time, yeah. it, was, it, it made no sense. Um, so some of the banks could sort of use them now. Mm. Um But I think at that time that idea was failing, what I was building with my friends. Um so he, he and he knew I was in the tech space. So we had done some business together before, or tried to do some business together before my family's business is real estate. Um, ironically. Mm. Um and at the time I'd worked in banking, I'd flown planes, worked in banking, and then worked in fintech, right, which is sort of where I came, got into, like, products yeah. uh, full-time. Um, so he calls me up, and he's like, yo, I have this idea, right. I was like, okay, you know, I can think through it f- with you. you yeah. um, and we would meet, and we would talk. And then, you know, my co-founder, being who he is, just executed on it, right. And he started with the short stage, which is the Airbnb model. Right, so it was December, and a few people were coming into town, as usual. So he started to find landlords that would want to do those short stays, uh, which wasn't really the core business, but he just wanted to see if, how it would work. Yeah. And he was, he, you know, he was just bro- brokering those deals. Um, and he would tell me, you know, he was excited about it, and he had gone and built like a splash page on the website, you know, very, very bootstrappy yeah. way of doing things. Um, and he was already earning some revenue. But in 2018, in January, he now wanted to do the long-stay thing. And the solution really was to provide monthly rental. It's really that simple. But we took it a, a notch higher. We wanted people to also pay for their services monthly, yeah. so their power. Um, we added, we added um, vanity services like cleaning once a week yeah. and then maintenance. So another thing about living here is that is an is the artisan problem, right? And he wanted for the homeowner to get their property or to keep their property the same way, you know, they had put it, put it, given yeah. it to him and for the person living in the space to have optimum service so if a light bulb even went out somebody was there the next day to replace it you know it's the uber lifestyle um removing ownership from your life and just giving you access right and we i mean uber has shown that people would pay for access or for comfort um, if they didn't have to do all those things and they could sit down to do more advanced things Right. and that was it so we built that model um he he and so at this time we're talking more often I was like do this this way do this that way do this this way do that that way um and I was already like helping him with like customer acquisition and just trying to figure out how this was a product and how it will work and he says to me like bro man I'm looking for a co-founder and you are the right person like you've been at this for a while with me. Um, he had somebody else that would be his co-founder as well. So it was supposed to be three of us. Um, and he started out as three of us, to be honest. Um, so that other person, I was doing product work, product and operational work. And that person was doing like technology stuff. So I was doing all the product design and all of that, and I'll feed it to him. Um, started very bootstrapping. He bootstrapped for 15 months. so. Th- we weren't earning anything or earning little to nothing. Just keeping it, was, it going. Yeah, it was just three of us. And our goal was very simple. How many spaces can we add on? How many, how, what's the lead time to fill those spaces, right? And what is the occupancy rate? It really was simple. Um, so we, that's how we launched Longstay. We had this man um, who was a client of my co-founders who, you know, just took a risk on us and said, you know, I would sell this property here and I'll buy these two flats and I'll furnish them. And if you can, you people can say you can do this monthly thing, that's fine. If you cannot pay me my my rent in the first month, right? Or you can't fill the spaces and you can't pay me my rent in the first month, then I'll take my property back. I won't lose anything because what I've actually even done is buy nice flats in a nice part of town and sold this. So we actually helped him sell the first house Mm -hmm. and then helped him buy these two flats two four bedrooms and we filled it in 48 hours
0: 48 hours yes
1: so we filled it was
0: when you when you say because i know that you went i know that you go into a shared living space and so did you fill it with someone that wanted to rent all four or did you fill it with eight different people renting each room
1: eight people so it was it was we didn't have anything apart from instagram whatsapp twitter um, and we had a splash page, we just had information, like you couldn't do the book, the complex bookings you can do today on our platform. And what we just did was we pushed it out into our community and it just sort of like went, you know. So by the time we had the keys, the first flat was filled, four guys moved in, right? And then two girls moved into the next flat that same day, Or well, they had booked it, right? They moved in maybe like two days after. And then by the next day, two other girls had moved into the next flat. So what we had sort of created was male flats, female flats, because we didn't that. We still, like you were saying before, we didn't understand how co-living would work, mm. right? It wasn't something that had been tested in this market, except for, I mean, how we, ha- you know, our families had done it in the past, mm. where they co-lived, yeah. you know, in the villages and things like that. Yeah. But... In, in you know in the modern era, it's not being tested. Yeah, like, and
0: I, I, and and I have questions about that because I'm just like culturally, mm. the way I look at it at least mm. is how do you how do you get away with something like that? Because do people want to live with people that they don't know, don't have any idea their background, don't have any idea what you know may or may not have in the space that you're living in? because I, I just feel that culture we're is very we're somewhat very private, and we almost want to. And divide ourselves from people and have that level of privacy. So, how does you know, I how has co living worked in terms of your?
1: First of all, for the long stay, we have ninety eight percent occupancy month on month. So, co living is happening, right? And about ninety one percent of our spaces are co lived, right? Um, I think what it what it was almost at on in every aspect of our business was social reengineering, right? Because when we started, it was really about affordability.
0: Yeah,
1: And people will be like, if I can live on the island and what I get is a room in a shared space, let me try it out. Mm. And I can cancel this thing monthly if it doesn't work for me. I'm not tied down for a year, right? So let me try it out. And you find that people are there for three years. Mm. So it works, right? you still get your privacy at the end of the day. Um, You're right. We're very private people. There's low trust in the economy. But what people really need, which is one and two beds, are not being built. Mm. Right? That's the data we have today. Right? So because those things are not being built, what really makes sense for what people can afford is co-living. You know? Um, so I think people would pick their finances, affordability over their mental, you know, mm. how they've thought about things yeah. over time, you know, and just switch that. That's the compromise they would make because one, you can't make a compromise for. You can't make a compromise unless you steal, yeah. right? If you can't afford, you, you can't, can't afford, afford it, it, you know? Um, and most half of the apartments buildings that are coming up the way they are structured for rental, the young population can't afford it. Who are they building it for? It can't be our parents who already own, own homes. Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? And even families that live in our spaces today, um, just like the fact that they can pay monthly, you know. So I think co living, co living is. I would. I, I mean, I'm bold to say that we were one of the pioneers for that bringing that into the market and it's catching on because again we're in a generation that understands how the world is yeah. even though we live in nigeria there are lots of nigerians young nigerians that haven't left nigeria but experience the world yeah. because of the internet right um if, i don't know if you watched this interview bill gates had when he when he was talking about the internet in the 80s and you know, he was explaining different things. And, you know, the guy was teasing him and saying, but there's Walmart, you know, and he was trying to explain mm-hmm. what Amazon became. But the guy was like, there's Walmart. And, you know, he's trying to explain different things. And, you know, he was, the internet has given people access to how things work globally, right? Imagine a future where, because I'm a split member, I could work globally in the sense that I have a split space in Nigeria and I stayed in Nigeria for three months, right? I could just switch to a space, space in Kenya and do my consultancy job yeah. there for six months and then switch to my space space. It gives you... That's
0: a bit of a nomad kind of life, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a nomad <laughs> kind of life. But if you look at the jobs that are high-earning or are beginning to be high-earning, those yeah. are the kind of jobs. Yeah. Software engineering, product management... Um, things like that, things that require people to move and to experience different things, right? right? Um, so Developer relations, things like that.
0: So so what is the role, I guess? And, and when you come up with things like this, and I know it wasn't originally your idea, but you've worked in building different kind of uh, um, businesses, like you said you were doing before you even joined um, um, Split, of finding holes in the market and that you can plug up mm. when coming up with a business idea?
1: Um, so that's not how business ideas work for me, right? How uh, do they work? <laughs> for me, um, market or not, I have to believe it's something I can build, right? Um, I have to th- be able to think it's high level from... Be- beginning to end, right? And it has to be something I need, first of all.
0: Yeah, okay. Right? And so, I mean, I, I think that falls into, uh, yes, I talk about the market and the holes in the market, yeah. but effectively, it's it's solving a need and a lot of the time it starts with a personal need.
1: Yeah. Um. So, it, it ha- it, it's first a personal thing, right? I joined Dollar Bar Splits because it made sense. Like, I it, it, it made sense because I pay my rent today monthly and it just made sense that bro, I don't have annual rent. Like, it actually doesn't make sense. Like, I'm saving money every time to meet up next year. What we found out was that 65% of the people that pay annual rent in Lagos today borrow that rent. And they're in a constant cycle of borrowing their rent just because it doesn't make sense, right? Um, but for me, ideas are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. Execution is what matters, And I have to be able to think through that I can execute, right? With this, with split, that seems to everybody like a no-brainer, right? We still have challenges. We had challenges. We still have challenges. Because even though there's a huge gap in the market, right, we're literally playing a mind game, Mm. right? And there's a lot of thought leadership and marketing that goes into, you know, playing that mind game, right? Telling people that this doesn't, the way you live today doesn't make sense, Mm. you know? But even though it's fact, and it might sound to us like fact, some people just, yeah, okay, it's fact, but what am I going to do about it? That's how we've always lived. Mm -hmm. And that's usually like most people's, you know? um, So it's always tough, sort of converting People's mindset. I mean, just because of affordability, I think in terms of um, maybe occupancy rates and things like that, yeah. we're we're doing be- better than most, right? We you don't see us advertise a lot mm. because the real problem we have is a supply problem. It's convincing the homeowners to take monthly. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Because
0: and and I think that's it. Speaks a little bit to the generational thing as well. Because, mm. um, like you said, I'm I'm assuming that. Mm. The majority of the homeowners you have are older people. Older people, as mm-hmm. opposed to younger. Yeah, right. And older people culturally have gotten used to one-year rent. Yeah. And then there's the trust issue, like you said. Yeah. So, how do you then? You're trying to solve an issue that's really a younger person problem, but you need an older mm-hmm. people to solve it. And so, how does that work?
1: I think what we've we've sort of done over time. I mean, we started with older people, family and friends, putting their spaces on, but over time. What we started to do was two things. People could now host their spare bedrooms, right? You have a four bedroom. You don't need four bedrooms. You're literally living in one. Because you have four bedrooms, you turn the other one into a study, study, Mm. right? Monetize the third one and the fourth one, right? Have people dwell with you. What we find that happens with co-living is people also become friends and business partners. You know, they, you know... Collaborate, right? Um, We are collaborating much more than our parents did, you know, again, because of the internet, right? Um, So that's one. Two, we turned it into a financial thing, model thing. On splits today, on average, as a homeowner, you would earn about 10% year on year. I don't think there's anywhere in Nigeria you get that kind of return on real estate.
0: And that was a question because there are two ends to that, right? It sounds profitable for the owner, mm. right? And maybe more convenient for a member mm. because you're paying month by month. But doesn't it end up more expensive?
1: If you do it yearly, yeah. right? But again, we need to remove our mindsets from that yeah. because you don't earn money yearly. You don't have that leverage yeah. financially. You're going to borrow for it and pay
0: 25%. Fair, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense.
1: So, why not just pay as you earn, right? And if you are paying a premium as opposed to going traditional, that would probably be yeah. a 4% or 5% markup on what you would have paid if you paid the money up front. And then you get comfort. And then you're not thinking about next year's rent you know that once your paycheck comes society you, split, put this aside and you split debits you and you are yeah. you're living you you're not you don't have to think about that
0: so there are two things you mentioned and I, that I want to touch on one is collaboration mm. before we get to collaboration you said that you have to when you're coming you're working you're taking on a business idea right you have to be able to see it from think about it from beginning to end yeah what are the kind of questions, probably, that I don't think of asking that you think are integral to ask if you're going to actually pro- go into a business?
1: Um, so I'll i use an I have this idea now that I've been working on, um, and the first thing was it was it's a problem for me, right? And I was like, okay, if I build this thing, who, what would anybody use it, right? So I asked people, would you use it? Oh yeah, this makes sense for me. This makes sense for me. This makes sense for me. Before, when I was thinking about solving problems, I used to think about how I would generate revenue. That doesn't happen anymore. What I think about now is, would it be useful for for people? Like, would a million people download this app and use it to save five minutes of their lives, right? Save 10 minutes of their lives. Um, And... If, if I can think through that and I see that a lot of people will use this not because they're going to pay money for it, right? They, let's not think about money. Let's think about quality of life, right? Or making processes easier, right? Is this useful to the economy? Yes. Okay. That's one. Two. If... So that's taken care of. There's a market, as mm-hmm. you were saying, right? People will use it. They might not pay for it, but they will use it. Two, if the people are not going to pay for it... Who will? Who will, (laughs) right? Let a million people use it, but how am I going to monetize this thing, right? I might not monetize it for the first five years. I don't have to. Again, why startup, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's how economies sort of grow taking risk like that and being able to, being funded to take risk like that. That's how I'm thinking about my ideas now. I mean, when I started Split, it had to be like revenue, this, that, you know, we're thinking about how much money we're making. But now I want to solve a problem, but the revenue model doesn't necessarily have to be customer, you know, subscription or whatever that is, Mm. right? It can be advertising and I think this is also what I was saying in the beginning that as a you know as a founder, you learn your you know your first you three your years. Failures, yes, yeah. you learn from your failures, you learn from certain things that there are multiple revenue models that exist that you don't have to think about when building something. Yeah. First, think about how you can deliver quality service, right? And then um deliver that service, it will monetize itself. At the end of there are revenue models that are not the traditional revenue models we read in economics and, you know, B2B, B2C, B2G. They're not, yeah. right? And that's how the world works today. Um, I'll give you an example. Facebook bought Instagram a non-revenue generating business, right? And b- because they could understand how they will make their money back They bought it. Same thing as Google and YouTube. YouTube wasn't charging anything for videos, right? But Google bought YouTube, right, at a certain amount and then has started to monetize. And they made their money back from YouTube. Um, So when we start to think about our world like that, right, it's easier to execute on our ideas. That's what I mean by thinking about the thought, I mean, the, the whole process. Can I deliver value? Would people appreciate this value? If people would appreciate this value and I can sort of infiltrate your lifestyle or your comfort, right? Or just make things easier for you or processes easier for you, down the line you will pay to maintain that, right? Um, So I think revenue model is important, but thinking about revenue model first is something, it usually kills an idea too. Yeah, it kills an idea. <laughs> it kills almost every idea in this economy. Um, if you look at the U.S. and Silicon Valley, there's so many things that don't make sense to us. Mm. WhatsApp shouldn't make sense, right? Yeah. If we, if, if, if the founders were thinking about revenue from day one, we never paid to use WhatsApp. Still, I'm still. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm no have to ask
0: the question Mm. because I'm still, I mean, after, I know Facebook bought it, right? Yeah. Is it data? I mean, I'm still trying to work out where the source is for them. I I think for them, it's two
1: things. I don't know if they're selling the data. I can't speak to that. But I know there's a data play. But if you look at some economies, they've started monetizing WhatsApp. India, for instance, you can pay for stuff via WhatsApp, right? So you can pay merchants on WhatsApp. Instagram too, you can pay merchants on Instagram. You can, people that advertise on Instagram, right, today would pay ad fees to Facebook to sort of monetize. Do you see how, you know, sometimes you're building something for somebody else's business or you're building something that's just valuable to this other thing to plug into this other thing? Um, I think it speaks to where our economy is Mm. that we're not really value driven yet. That's why we're not, think, we're not thinking about our ideas like that. We're thinking about our ideas from a revenue standpoint all the time. Mm. Revenues will come. Revenues are very important because something has to pay mm. over time. VC cannot pay for it over time. Fundamentally, there has to be a revenue model. But I think first of all, you need to think about delivering value. Yeah. Like what and how will I deliver value? and would people appreciate this value? People will pay for something they they appreciate. Yeah. So
0: yeah. what's the next question? You've thought about value, product idea. Mm. Does someone need it? Will mm. people? Um, is it helping a problem for mm. you? Mm. Will other people need it? Will other people use it? Mm. Um, if people aren't going to pay for it, who will? Mm. What's next?
1: Who's building it with really? me? Um, then um, we
0: come back to collaboration. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, having a co-founder is very important because. I know myself and I know my strengths, but that also means I know my weaknesses and I know what I'm not good at. So you need a co-founder. I mean, in this tech space, anyway, that understands the things you're not good at. Right. Um, I think team is next, right? So you find a co-founder someone that's ready to stick it through with you. Um, Friend or family. Or somebody that's just competent enough, right, that you can have that bond with. Um, Because co-founding is like a marriage, Mm. you know. Um, And VCs always say they don't want to fund single founders. Mm. Because, you know, the Bible says one will kill 10,000 10,000. And that math doesn't make sense. Do you... Do you yeah, use, because yeah. what that region. math has done is multiplied that by 10. Yeah. Not necessarily 2. Even though it multiplied, you know, 1 yeah. by 2 to give you 2. It says 1,000 will kill 10... I mean, 2... two, two 10,000, 10, not 2,000. Yeah. So you will do so much more together. Ever Like, the multiple is 10 times than I, one person. I
0: have to bring about... And I know that you're doing it in different spaces and you're doing it with people, right? But how... How does that, in our current culture, because we're seeing a Mm. lot of different things are playing into the things that you said. Mm. We haven't got to the point culturally or in our society where we're not simply money-driven, right? So a lot of the time people are looking at where they're getting their money back Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to a business idea. Mm. And then culturally, and I think that this is part of that as well, partnering with people, how do we begin to actually do that? Because I think a lot of the time you're thinking, how much can I eat of this? And if I have to share it with someone else and not thinking long-term, so how do we begin to shift and inspire people to collaborate more?
1: That's interesting because if you think like that, you can't raise VC money, Mm -hmm. first of all. Um, And you can't scale Mm -hmm. without... Like, how are you going to do it? Um, One of the bigger tech startups today has six co-founders, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how... That pie is shared today, right? But they're big. And they're success. I think we need to sort of remove our mindset from that I want the whole pie thing. What does it mean if I have a pie that's worth a million dollars and I have it all to we have a pie that's worth a billion dollars and we're just three of us? Do you see that it's better to own $300 million million than $1 million. And because that's where, again, as that Bible passage says, two people will take you, right? More than one person will take you, basically. Um, And it's just the basic math. You will never go as far. And once people start to understand it, I'm understanding that, you know, as I build today, as we build splits today, right? We have a whole team. Um, I was telling you earlier, there's so many, there's so many things I see they're doing that I I don't even know before time. You can never build anything without a team.
0: How, how do you, because I, I, I'm i just enjoying this because I'm just enjoying learning. Right? Please. Because I think in concept it's a very great idea. Hmm. Um, how do you begin to actually put those things in place where well, one, you can have a team that, I guess, are as passionate about your product as you are. and um, is committed to it. Yeah. Um, and, and understand and see the value of what is being created and that, their level of commitment um, aligns with what is required, what is needed, um, where, you know, you're not training someone in the thing that you're good at for them to run off and do it elsewhere as opposed to actually sticking together. Because I'm just thinking about different things that you see in this environment that make that hard.
1: So, a few things. First of all, you can't have the mentality that somebody's going to take everything. <laughs> What's the yeah, point, right? Yeah. Because you're not building a company just to deliver value to the world and yourself. You're also imparting people with knowledge, right? And it's, you want to get to a stage as a founder. Well, I want to get to a stage as a founder that someone like Daniela, who works on my team, can tell me tomorrow oh, I'm going off to build this thing and I can support it and I fund it because I know where that work ethic is going to come yeah. from. It came from us building together. Um, finding these people, I always say hiring is hard in Nigeria, but finding these people is your job as CEO. Mm. That's what separates the good from the great CEOs, hiring. Hiring is one of those things, right? Some other things are flukes. Hiring is one of those things because you have to continue to sell that vision. One thing that was, um, I look back at our journey now, and one thing that has been amazing is that four out of five people in our management team lived in a split space first before we hired them. Mm. Or was it? So Daniela, for instance, was a split space host. She was our first host that tested the platform, mm. right? The monthly platform. And she was earning her thing monthly. And in a week, we had done, like, someone had moved into her space. And, you know, for her, it was... So when we had that role, mm. you know, she just joined us. Mm. Because we didn't need to teach her what we were doing.
0: She saw the value. She, you know, she already saw yeah. the
1: value as someone that generated revenue from this. Um, Joey, who's our chief technology officer, same thing, right? He was building something else and he lived in one of our spaces. Made sense. Victor, who's our VP of comms, moved into a space space first. And he just like, he started working for us before he officially worked for us. So he was helping out with different things with our comms, language and stuff like that. And then, you know, it just became a conversation one day. Yo, would you like to join us on this journey? And it's like, man, this thing is exciting. I genuinely want to change these, this way of living for people. Yeah. For them, it was, I'm paying mon- my rent monthly. I'm living as comfortably as this. People need to f- feel yeah. like this. Um. So I think in that regard, we've been lucky. Um. But again, it's it's not necessarily hard to find. So for me, like, with a co-founder... I would, and a team, basically, if I was to build something else, which I might do, or might not do, Um, Koi. I'll be friends with you first. Let's chill. Let me know where your mind's at, what you can do, because everybody has to be keyed into this journey, right? My job is to get you to do your work and to continue to sell the vision to you, amongst other things, right? I can't do day-to-day things, even though in the beginning I did, right? My job gets past that where I do more high-level things like raise funds, right? Pitch, you know, things like that. Ensure that the team is good, is cohesive, Mm -hmm. the vision stays intact. And as the vision grows in my mind, I'm communicating that vision to them, right? That's another important thing because as a founder, you find yourself ten times, five times ahead of the people you are, you, yeah. you know. But you always need to carry them along on that yeah. journey. Um, and it, it needs to be deliberate doing that, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, I feel like finding people, it's, it's one of the toughest things because your team makes it work. Yeah. Yeah, and the competency of your team makes it work. You can't do everything yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's funny the amount of scripture that I'm seeing popping out because you're talking about communicating the vision and keeping people yeah. and it just keeps brings to mind obviously like Habakkuk right? Write down the vision and make Me it plain those who um who see it will run with it. Because mm. unless people see the vision, they're not they gonna go with run, you. Yeah. Um and and so and when um, and I kinda you kinda you can see that, right? So like how people might not um uh, you might have employees, but if they don't know the vision, they 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 will do their jobs but they wouldn't. Be able to flow with the idea of a company like, have, sorry
1: um, mm. no worried. I was gonna say like we don't have employees yeah. we have a team and you know it's funny now that they send me skits about it but I'm a huge basketball fan and I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan and for me we are the Chicago Bulls in the 90s mm. right and that's how I sort of depict the team to them it's not employees you're not coming here to work like you can't once someone comes and joins the team and starts saying things like, "Oh but this is my own job and I'm doing my own job," then you are, you, you're not supposed to be here. yeah, right? Because if someone else doesn't do something right and you know how to get that thing done better, and you don't because you want to stick to your own job, then you don't fit in our, yeah. you know in our team. because we all we all revel in customer success. Yeah. wins mm. in in supply wins business development wins operational wins when i fundraise from some particular person we'll be chasing once that win comes everybody's you know everybody's yeah. in that you know it's not my win it's splits win and if you're under that umbrella you're part of the team employees sound like people that just work to get a paycheck every yeah. month right i'm not saying we won't pay you every month but it's you need to be part of this yeah. giant vision, you know? So, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to.
0: Um, I mean, so there are two things I want to touch on before we wrap up. Um, and the first one is, so you've talked a little bit about how your job changes as a business grows, right? Mm-hmm. And so doing things like raising money, so seed rounds and things mm-hmm. like that. Now, just for an information kind of building awareness. So let's say I'm starting a company mm-hmm. and you've started to build When it's time to now go around and raise money, what are the kind of things that I need to be able to answer, the kind of things that I need to be able to offer somebody that is looking to invest in a business?
1: Mm. Um, I mean, in startup, in tech startups, um, it depends on the stage, right? In pre-seed, you don't necessarily need a financial model. I always say, like, if an investor is asking for a financial model at pre-seed, then they don't know the gamble they are taking. Yeah. Right, because you're not investing in a business, you're investing in those two guys yeah. and their ability to build this thing they're saying they will build. Yeah. Right, um, So that's pre-seed, right? But you want to be able to understand comparables in valuation. So if I'm building something in the prop tech space, what, who are the people... I mean, you need to understand that financial model regardless. Mm. So who are the people building in this space and what did they raise in their pre-seed? And since I'm in the West African markets, there has to be a discount, things like that. Mm. Um, so, for instance, in our case, we raised 265 k dollars in our pre seed round. Um, and from angel investors and people that knew that they were taking risk, right? Mm. Even though at our stage we had shown some traction, we had bootstrapped for like 15 months, and so there was traction. Um, again, I mean, I think the economy, uh, tech space is getting to the point where people would fund proper pre-seed without any traction, mm. right? Well, we had a traction. We had a model. If I was going to build something today, I most likely won't have traction, right? It probably would come from the strength of what I've built before, right? Um, but that's really how it should be. It's an idea. Pre-seed is really pre-seed, right? Yeah. It's an idea. So, you're yeah, just giving him... Something you could pro- you feel you could throw away, right? Mm-hmm. But you are hoping it will, it's a gamble, but you are hoping that's not pre-seed. VCs in this market don't really come in at pre-seed, but they will, especially when the idea is solid,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
1: Um, and then I think you just cast a wide net to angel investors, early stage venture capitalists, especially mm-hmm. ones that will fund things in your vertical. And by vertical, I mean prop tech for us. FinTech, health tech, where, what vertical are you building in? Yeah. Find the guys that are funded companies globally. Space, yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the smartest things to do is to also have um, an entity that's not Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> I, 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 I won't say too much on that, but I, I feel like if you're going to raise proper venture capital, because that capital doesn't necessarily exist like that here. You know, most of Mm -hmm. the companies that will do fund companies here will do pre-seed, seed seed when the tickets are low, Mm -hmm. right? But when you're getting to, let's say you want to raise a Series A, 10 million Series A, VCs in in the U.S. will do that easy for you, right? Um, Not necessarily. Nigerian VCs will still just put maybe a hundred K check in that round. You know, so you want to have an entity that they trust, you know, because they won't fund, they won't directly fund a Nigerian entity. And uh, that's not my fault. That's the volatility of the market. Yeah. Right. Um, So you want to do that from day one. Those are the kind of things that you want to start thinking once you're once you're structuring, you want to have that structure from day one. So that down the line when you're raising proper, proper venture capital, You have, they have access, you know, you have a company that's not, um, it's not necessarily Nigerian. I think you, what that also helps you think, do is build global. Yeah. Um, I like that if you Nigerians today, founders are are not thinking about Nigerian problems anymore. They're thinking about global problems, Mm. solving global problems. You can check out this company called Backdrop. Very interesting company. It's not, it's just a global mm. tourism and lifestyle problem. Being built by three Nigerians, but it's a problem that exists globally. And that's what the internet does, right? It gives you access to global infrastructure. Yeah. Right. You could integrate Stripe to Date to collect payments. If I had that American entity. My payments will be settled into that entity. Mm. You do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Um so Nigerians are thinking more global in terms of building now, right? Yeah. Um and I think it's sort of because of the success from paystacks exits and you know, people are beginning yeah. to say we can't do this. Well there's actually something that's in this yeah, space. Yeah, so there's something there's something we've we have to offer. We have to offer that's more global than you know our uh, local problems. Okay. It's nice to solve local problems, but <laughs>
0: yeah. so final question. This is a bit of a dumb it down question, right? Mm-hmm. This is like so. What makes Split Tech? And I because I, I want to understand this. I'm very, very, very dumb it down in that in the sense that Split. I've looked in. You don't have an app, right? The mobile. No, it's process, just web right? app. Just web app. Now. For the sake of real, like dumb it down. Zara has a website. What makes Zara, like the shopping online, has a website? It's not a tech company though. What makes Split a tech company? What about the infrastructure of it makes it takes it from being um, a website for a real estate company Mm. to actually being?
1: There's nothing that we do that's physical. Mm. As Split. Our partners, the cleaning partners, um, everybody we sort of integrate, right, to distribute their services might do things physically, might hire people that are doing things physically, but there's nothing we really do that's physical. What we've built is a technology infrastructure to change your life, right, change how you live, right? So today on Split, our members can book laundry subscriptions. Are we the ones delivering that laundry? No. No. Mm. That's Eden Life doing that. Food subscriptions. Are we the ones delivering that food? No. We earn a fee from it because our technology has that infrastructure. Mm. So basically, customer acquisition on all sides and even supply distribution is happening via technology. Mm. Um, I mean, in tech world, what people say, we're a tech-enabled company, mm. right? Um, but there's no real estate thing that we do That's traditional. We don't have agents. If we did have agents, those agents won't be our agents. They won't be our staff. They will end fees because of what they do on the platform. right? Just like the homeowners earn their monies. We just earn by providing that infrastructure that helps it scale faster. So if a company that had 10 agents wanted to do the same thing we did without the technology, what would take us one year would probably take them five difference Mm -hmm. that's what technology sort of does it it reduces time spent Mm -hmm. right but you know you're spending a lot of money building that infrastructure in the first place that's that's why we are a tech company okay
0: All right. thank you very very much like I have I could literally do this for a very long time because it's just like going to school so (laughs) (laughs) but no I really really appreciate it I've enjoyed the conversation thank you very much thank you so much Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of Shop Talk with the support of LSETF and make sure you keep on tuning in.